Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special interview episode here from the Geek Buddies! <laughs> hey! <laughs> Joining us today, fresh off the incredible success of Cinderella here, the number one streaming movie in America, the number one streaming movie in Prime Video, 5.6 billion views on TikTok. I'm an old man. I can't say that right. The number one soundtrack <laughs> album on iTunes and 1.1 million U.S. households watched Cinderella in four days. She is the screenwriter, producer, director, and actress, Kay Cannon. Kay, how are you? Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. It's so crazy when you say those numbers because I already, like, it's already like six point something billion now on TikTok, like wow. the billion with a B. And then, like, yeah. um, that 1.1 number is not accurate at all. They only go off of three million households. So, oh, okay. So, um, but, but that I, I just learned that today, but, but it's still, um. but they, it's interesting. It's like that that's what comes out. But, but it's exciting to be like, well, there's a lot more than the 1.1, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's worldwide. I'm going to talk um, to the person who posted it. Hold on. Oh, it's Kay Cannon. Oh, my boss. Yeah, yeah, my man. Boss. I know. I did that. I did that. I, did that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, whatever put, somebody puts up, I'm like, I guess that's what it is. All right. <laughs> Let's put it up. But no, this is this has been this is incredible time for you. I mean, this film is getting so much uh, conversation, so much talk on social media. It's been so successful with fans, with audiences. And as we said, on these social media platforms as well. Uh, and it's this it's out now on Amazon Prime for you all to enjoy a brand new take on Cinderella directed for the first time uh, by a woman and having her perspective. Talk to me about this process for you with, uh, you know, I've read a number of interviews that it was James Corden bringing you in and kind of yeah. talking to you about it. What was the moment that you knew this project you wanted to do that? You said, like, you cannot hide your poker face. What was the moment, though? What was the, the sentence or the scene or the beat 
that was spoken in the conversation, <laughs> you knew, okay, Kay Cannon can do this. Well, I, the, the moment for me was when I realized that what James was offering was my, I was going to be able to write the Cinderella story, a story that I didn't connect to as a kid. Like mm. I connected to the her being like dirty because I was like a little dirtbag, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and like I connected to the underdog part of it. But even her being blue, you know, blue eyed and blonde haired and, um, you know, like I never thought like a, the, the notion that someone would come in and save um, me was not something I connected to. And I thought the other characters that were women um, were very mean. So I, I, you know, so when James was like, oh, we could retell the story using contemporary songs. First, I liked the contemporary song element to it. I thought that was really fun. But then this, this idea of like, oh, I could modernize it and rewrite it for my younger self. That was like, I was like, yes, I want to do this. And, mm -hmm. and so I, you know, they had interviewed other writers too. So it, like in the room, I was like, I want to do this. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, we're interviewing other people. Yes, yes, I know. I want to do this. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm just lucky that, um, that they, you know, chose me. Mm -hmm. Mike? Uh, yeah, I'm just, well, I'm curious, like off of that, um, you know, so you have that, you have that notion, oh, I can rewrite Cinderella. I can make this a story that I want for my younger self. But like, how quickly did, well, I want her to be making the dress instead of just being given the dress, or I'm going to treat the, uh, you know, I'm going to have like the, the fab, fabulous G instead of the fairy godmother, like, or I'm going to let the brother have this sort of very forward thinking sister. Like, obviously I know those, they didn't all come at once, but like, yes. what was the process of like, okay, I get to retell this story, but then to that, well, here's how I want to retell that story. Well, I pitched in the meeting that I thought she should be a, a designer of her own. And you know, like that, um, like that was like, and I know for a lot of writers, it's like, well, that was your first thought. And really that's what you went with. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, because it felt like all organic to the story. I didn't want, I don't want, and still don't want people to feel like I have disdain for the story. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason it's so popular. There's a reason why it's retold. There's a reason why millions of like, especially little girls love it so much. And I, I wanted to preserve all those things that they love and the ball and getting dressed up and the magic of it all. Like that was all things I wanted to keep. So it felt like, oh, the ball, like instead of her going to find love, uh, it was, you know, it, it was to network like that yeah. seemed like, and it, it sort of seemed like organic. To, the dress is so important and I wanted to preserve the dress. So it just seemed organic to be like, oh, let her have designed the dress that let her have. Um, and, it, and it's a dress that it's, it's like so forward thinking on her part that she doesn't even know how to make it. So it seems like an impossible thing. And then the fab G comes in and, and he, um, you know, like makes it, become the impossible become possible and right. then the fat the fab g it was like at every at every turn like structurally i really didn't change the story that much yeah. um uh except for the fact that i had the prince and cinderella i had finished their story and then had these like they're not the last scene right and i had like i kept it going and that was intentional because i wanted it to be more than just cinderella's story i wanted it to be everybody around her story so like at every point, when I got to the to the to the fairy godmother s sequence, I was like, "Okay, how can I make this different? 
like I can't like I can't compete against the other wonderful actresses who have done this movie before. So um, or, uh, done this telling before. So okay, I w I kind of went from I need to make it a man to very quickly I need it to be a gay man to very quickly being I need it to be Billy Porter. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, it was like who and I knew it had to be somebody who who sang and you know like who was like this amazing performer and who felt like magic and Billy feel is magic to me and. Mm. So, and then the Gwen thing was kind of a slow burn. Like I'd always wanted to have, um, I wrote like her as a young Elizabeth Warren and or like a young Hillary Clinton. And, wow. you know, I wrote it, I started writing it in 2017. So it was fresh off of, um, you know, the, the uh, Trump uh, taking office. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, just frustrated. I was just frustrated that, that I felt like this, that one, there was so clearly that the person who should have been in charge should have been in charge. And so I, when I, even when I went and pitched to Sony, I like had pictures of cast who I had in mind or whatever. And I just took a young picture of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't know who was going to play that part yet. Um, and, uh, um, and just, and then it just sort of like the game sort of built of just like every time she can, she tried to interject a policy she was thinking about yeah. or, you know, that, that she was, you know, I, I I wanted to make the um the patriarchy or the you know the 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 royal family. I wanted their issue to be gender based as opposed to right. race based. Yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to Tallulah to Grieve who did a fantastic job with Princess. Yeah, as totally. Well. Shannon, you have the questions about the songs. Yes. Yeah, so along with being incredibly funny, you have you have a killer soundtrack in this. Thank movie. you. And <laughs> as you were writing it, I mean. Are these some of your favorite mixtape songs from when you were growing up? Was it collaborative? And I guess as you were doing drafts, were there songs that were in it that didn't end up being in it? Mm. Oh, all of that. Like, um, I have a, an amazing team, uh, the, a music team, both at Sony and then like our producers and like Camila was a, a big part of it. And um, I uh, I basically wrote in place like placeholder songs throughout the draft because the songs were dialogue on the page, right? So I had to like, it's not like Pitch Perfect where they were just like performing a song in front of an audience. Like this had to like, it had to make sense. So um, like Somebody to Love, Rhythm Nation and You Gotta Be were songs I had pretty close to the beginning. Mm. Um, uh, or Somebody to Love was something James Corden pitched um, in that meeting. Mm -hmm. And so we kept that. Um, but then like, like, like the Am I Wrong spot and the finale that was like, I mean, it was a whole thing. Like, to, I, I did so many demos of different songs, and wow, and um, like it was just such a puzzle, uh, like figuring out the songs. I was actually in a very when I heard Rhythm Nation, and I was like, that could be the song <laughs> to start the movie. <laughs> uh, like, it, it, I'd be in the supermarket, I'd be like, a car would drive by, and I would just be like, whoa, whoa. and then um, when I <laughs> when um. <laughs> When the when the movie got greenlit, uh, and I actually had a music team, you know, uh, behind me, like we, I had uh, my music board that had all the the spots that of you know the music spots, whatever. I knew with, where the originals were going to be, and those were like I did just like placeholder lyrics in the script, uh, and then Camila went off, and Scott Harris went off and wrote uh, Million to One, and then Adina and Laura wrote uh, Dream Girl, but like. Wow. There was like four spots that had to be figured out, including the finale and the Am I Wrong spot. And I had a prize bucket for the music team. Like I brought out a prize bucket <laughs> and it was like full of like old Halloween candy that I wanted to get rid of. And there was like a $20 bill wrapped around a Twizzler <laughs> and there was like lip gloss and stuff. And I was like, okay, 
if we can, you know, whoever pitches a song that gets through me, that makes sense to the story, that makes sense to what I want to do, like, you know, because it was all like crafted, it was all designed, like, the arrangements are, you know, Keith Harrison and I did the arrangements because it's like in, in script, I was very, very specific. Like, and am I wrong? I'm all of that scripted mm-hmm. of just like um, um, uh, who's singing what and where and where they are and stuff. Um, and so a couple of people got uh, got some uh, got to pick out of the prize box. <laughs> There's like, like grown adults like losing their minds. I mean, I had pitched Let's Get Loud, so I got to pick out of it. Um, but but uh, the finale was like eleventh hour, <laughs> and and you and you knew exactly what to pick as well. So you got that twenty dollar Twizzler, right? <laughs> no, you know what? I don't think. I think somebody did pick that, but that bucket is still in the music studio. It's oh. like still in the studio. Mm, maybe don't um, eat that Twizzler. Maybe don't yeah. eat that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They say good forever. They're good. They're fine. It's they- fine. Right. It's fine. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Camille Cabello, and this is the 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 entry point for me. Uh, you know, as the son of Latino immigrants, seeing a woman who's come over uh, at a young age uh, and then kind of staked her own claim as a young artist, left a group to go solo. You know, there's a lot of similarities to Cinderella's story in this movie, to Camilla's stories in this movie. When you were having these conversations, did you sense, I know that in some of the interviews you've mentioned that you you, you proposed with a glass slipper, but did you sense that she was connecting to this character uh, on a uh, visceral level as uh, as related to her own life uh, as well? Yeah, right away. I mean, that was one of the things that, that was probably the primary mm. reason a, a, a very closely followed by behind that. I thought she was a natural and I, I felt mm. like she would be great at this, but I mean, like what she did, you know, John and what she represents, I just feel like she is Cinderella and it's, and it's yeah. a n- nice thing to uh, at the premiere. She said the same thing about me. And that she felt like I was like Cinderella. Like, I think we saw, mm. I think that's what made us such a great match um, because, and why there was so much trust there right away because we were both like going for something bigger than what we'd ever done before or, you know, out, maybe outside of our comfort zones. And, mm. um, and there was a, it was like a lot at stake. It was, mm. you know, like when you re- re- read off those numbers, it really fills our hearts with joy because that means it's resonating with people and people are finding it and they're liking it and they're enjoying it and they're watching, it, you know, like, um, and, and that, that doesn't go without, like, we're feeling it. We're feeling yeah. it. And, and we're, the two of us are like, collectively like, Phew. <laughs> 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 you know, um, but it, you know, she, like her family came to this country with nothing. Yeah. And, um, and then she's like, you know, she's made some big decisions for herself. With, and, with backlash, with like massive backlash. Yes. And, um, and and yet she's persevered and she's, you know, staked her claim as an artist that's like here to stay, I think. That's what I felt when I was watching the movie. I was like, am I watching Kabea Caveo? Am I watching Cinderella? It seemed like the, the similarities of the journeys they were they've both been on in their lives and the amount of no's that they've heard or the amount of you can't do that or the amount of, you know, uh, you're really taking a chance. I don't think people are, I don't think anyone's going to, uh, you know, go, go for what you're doing. Uh, you might fall on your face. 
you sense that there's maybe um, some reality that's brought through the character. And I think that was powerful to see in her performance. Just a real quick fo follow up. Did you have any hesitation or any concern because she'd never acted in a theatrical film before as the lead in this thing? She'd done her music videos. She'd done other things as a performer. Mm -hmm. But leading a film like this, especially an adaptation like this, was there any hesitation? Or when you met her, did you sense, okay, she can handle it? Yeah, I didn't have any hesitation. I mean, mm. before meeting, I was a little bit like, I don't know, can she do this? But um, <laughs> uh, and um, and I think she was thinking probably the same thing as as of me too. You know, like um, and but as soon as I am talking to her, like you know, she's very thoughtful. She's super smart, and mm. her questions about the material were really smart. She works really hard. I mean, she is a that can sometimes just like go over people's heads. Of, oh, she works hard, big deal, you know, like whatever, but it's not, no, no, really. Like yeah. she, like to be number one on that call sheet and that like trickles down and, and, and everybody on the film worked so incredibly hard, but she, you know, like she just led, like she led with that work, hard work ethic. So I, I wasn't really nervous. And, but a very quickly, uh, a nice story is that we, you know, we did a chemistry test of, with her and, and different princes. Mm. And that was the first time we were seeing, like I had workshopped with them all, but that was the first time that like the studio was going to see Camila in action, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like sick to her stomach about it. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we filmed the scenes, the scenes work, like it's great. And um, after we were done, like she came up to me and she's like, I can do this. Right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can do it. You can do it. It's pretty great actually. Um, awesome. How, how, you know that and we both again we both were like okay okay <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna do this well so speaking of that and just speaking of the dynamic and the relationship like i was just watching uh the movies that made us on netflix and they, mm -hmm. i watched the pretty woman one and they make a really big deal out of gary marshall kind of stepping into this role as a director coming from sort of comedy sitcom chops and how he really like did he went out of his way to just have fun on set and joke around and as i was watching this movie and knowing you personally just everybody looked like they were having so much fun like there was just a joy to the acting um, and so I was wondering, like, you, Kay Cannon as director, what do you take from your improv background? What do you take from your comedy background that informs your directing that, uh, that seems to have led to everyone having really relaxed, really natural performances? Um, yeah, I, I, it was, even though we shot it during the pandemic, <laughs> uh, um, we, we did have a lot of joy. It was a lot of hard work, but, but we have a lot of joy. Look, my directing philosophy is best idea wins and I don't care where it comes from. And wow. so that's a very, um, like it, it goes back to like Im being an improviser and improv roots and yes, anding, um, anyone's idea and, um, and just having that notion of play and yes, anding. And when you have that, um, and I, I try to make everyone feel that way. So it's like, it's not j just the cast, it's the crew as well. I mean, it's, it's everybody. Um, I want us to have perspective all the time too. Like at the beginning of every day, I would just shout jokes and songs before every, <laughs> before every first take. And they would shout it back to me to remind us that it is, uh, you know, we're, this is, we're, we're trying to spread joy. We're not, you know, and there's a lot of, really hard things happening in the world and in our life. Like, you know, it, sometimes we just felt like the world was figuratively and literally on fire. And, <laughs> um, and so it was about playfulness and, 
And, um, and I'm very honest with people like, uh, like, and I want them to be very honest with me. And when you feel that, um, uh, like people just feel a trust and a comfort there. I also give my actors fun runs, which is I, as, as soon as we get um, what's on the page, I also have like a ton of alt jokes that I throw at them. Um, um, uh, and then they would pitch some alt jokes as well. As soon as, but as soon as I know I have it, I give the actors what I call fun runs, which is they can do literally anything they want. And, and so what that did was I didn't use a ton of stuff from their fun runs, but what it does is it gives them like, Oh, she got it. And so they, it makes their shoulders go down and makes them feel like they're doing a good job, you know, like, um, and so, and then I started to give my DP a fun run, you know, like, mm. or, and, and he liked it too. And th that I would use like a lot of, because he was always finding really cool new stuff. Um, so I think that's what, like, it's, it's been exciting because I, the, the cast really felt the joy. And, and then it, it, could you imagine if it had been the opposite where I was just like yelling at them and it was miserable. <laughs> like, and we're just, yeah, and we're just trying to like, uh, you know, like we're trying to do like a, it's a movie for families, it's a movie for kids, <laughs> like, like kids would feel that, right? Like, hey, Prince Charming, get yeah. over here. <laughs> and, like, I feel like somebody sent me a, a message that was like they, they've never seen Pierce Brosnan more like fun and oh, and so and it seemed like he had the time of his life, and I I feel like you know here's a guy who's you know he's Bond, he's James Bond, and um. And I think I think it shows. Like he and he did have a lot of fun. I think that he was probably. I there, he's so awesome. Like he's my fellow Irish friend. You know, friend. And we give each other Irish hugs. And and he, you know, he would he'd be like, "Oh dear Kay, it's so wonderful." <laughs> you know, just like game for anything and um, just a just a joy. I just I, love I mean. For me, by the end of the movie, I definitely wanted. I'm like, all right, where's where's the streaming series of Pierce Brosnan and Minnie Driver? Yes, right. Like me what too. takes yeah. place after this movie? So like going in, like you were able to do your kind of your take on Cinderella, but you didn't just change Cinderella. You got to give other characters like the prince's parents, like the prince. You got to give people some complexity and some depth that hadn't really been there before, especially with the stepmother and the stepsisters, oh, yeah. characters that have traditionally kind of been portrayed a little one note. So like going in, is that what you knew you wanted to do? Or did it sort of just kind of start with Cinderella and just kind of bleed down? Uh, I did I did know when I was breaking the story, I, that is something that was important to me that I wanted to do, especially with the stepmother. I kind of felt like there was no reason to do the story if you weren't going to change the stepmother, like, uh, or, or not change her in as much as give her backstory and give her a reason for why she acts or what her worldview is. And, mm -hmm. and that it's like tough love. And I didn't, I didn't have her put, I, the stepmother doesn't put Cinderella down in the basement. Cinderella puts herself down in the basement and puts her 10,000 hours in. And so, and then we are the first, Cinderella telling that has the stepmother and Cinderella make up at the end. That's never happened before in any retelling. And that was really, that was like a, a to me, I was like, that's why, why we should do this because I wanted to tell this multi-generational story of like, you know, as it relates to what I think a lot of people are going through right now, where their parents worldview or, and have gone through for all of time actually, yes. but it just feels heightened right now, every generation, but it's just like, you know, I'm my mother's daughter, but we just disagree on so much um, <laughs> because her worldview is her worldview. And my worldview is my worldview. And, and 
and I look forward to my daughter having a different, more evolved worldview in which, you know, she's like changing and progressing in ways that um, I can't even imagine. So um, I, I like, I get emotional when I still, and I've seen it a good billion times when, <laughs> uh, when Adina and Camila sing to each other at the end, because yeah. mm. that is the apology. And that's the idea of where you go, oh, the stepmother has finally understood that that she, sh the Cinderella should have dreams and go for them. And that maybe it's not the end all for her as well. Like maybe she'll reconsider that piano. How she views right. Life the piano. Yeah, or the exactly. world. Following up on Shannon's question, Adina Menzel has a career, a history of kind of taking these uh, evil characters and giving you a whole new perspective on how to see them, you know, wicked with Alphaba and what have you did. Was she, collaborative in the process with you in crafting the stepmother character or was the stepmother character already pretty much solidified the way you wanted to have it before Adina came on to the project? Well, certainly any actor, once they, once they come on, like they bring, they bring themselves to it. Mm. Right. And so like there was many conversations that we had, it was scripted the way it was scripted. So it was already defined the way it was defined, but, okay. but that's what made Adina so perfect for the role is because she brought, like she can do that. Um, the dressing down and yeah. the disciplinary and so great. Um, and then she also has this amazing vulnerability within her that like where she, you know, like you, she really brings you in. And, um, and I also like, she's just so amazingly famous for um, frozen yeah. that it was like well. so nice to on film to see her as her, <laughs> right? You know, and and so a big big thing we had big conversations about though were uh, was the song was was Dream Girl mm. because she she co-wrote that and and she said to me she's like I've never been seen this way before I've never I've never wow. sang with this angry tone undercurrent but like this angst before mm. and that'll be something new and it's always what I've wanted to be able to do and you know the the whole goal of that song was to show the bubbling the undercurrent of anger and rage that a lot of women have <laughs> um that don't, don't get to come out when you know like when when they're uh, you know living in this a more traditional society um and that we are experiencing to, in 2021 in big 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 ways even you know to this day mm. so um so that was like that that was something that she brought to the table like that like I was so happy she was game for, and she really took it to that level that I, you know, I, I love that song. And I, and that, that's like a hard song for maybe for, it might be, I mean, like millions of people are liking it, but like for maybe like young kids to be like, mm, what? Like, uh, but so that song is more for like, you know, for like the moms, for the adults that have yeah. kind of, right. kind of gone through something, you know? Yeah. Mike? Um, well, speaking of going through something, uh, so like I think something everybody can relate to is that we've all lived through the craziest year of our lives. And I think everybody has that moment of like, I remember where I was when the world shut down. You just happened to be directing a movie musical overseas. So like, yeah. can you talk a little bit about what it's like? Like, all right, I'm writing and directing this fairy tale and making it happen. This is amazing. And then like the world just collapses. Yeah. I mean, guys. Uh, so <laughs> first we were in Blackpool uh wow. shooting the ball so I had like 200 extras and the whole thing right it's huge big thing we spent a week in Blackpool so I think it was like March 2nd to the 6th or something like that 
And I was, I kind of had my finger on the pulse of the pandemic, like where like nobody else was really talking about it. And I had like already been like, uh, hi, you know, I wasn't like hugging anybody. And, um, and we didn't, I don't have time to be on my phone. And we, we had tried to have this like no cell phone policy. So like, uh, you know, Eben, my husband was the writer on set and he would have his phone. And at the end of every day of shooting, I would go to him and be like, that thing that's happening, that's, it's going away. Right. It's getting better. You know, like, like this, this, um, cause it wasn't a pandemic yet. It was just like that thing that's happening in China. Is, right. Is, it's all good. Right. We're all good. And he'd be like, Oh no, no, no. It's, it's very bad. It's very bad. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, and I, I swear it was like the first week of March. I was like, it's getting better though now. Right. Like they're kind of getting a handle on it. So the, um, so it was, but it was scary. Like it was yeah. in the second week of March, like, by that Wednesday, I was like um, calling the producers and saying, I don't understand why we're still going into work. Like, I was really scared. Uh, I'll just be totally honest that like yeah. I was like, uh, I, I, you know, take on the safety of the cast and crew very seriously. And and um, and then we shut down on the 13th and um, like Camila and I gave speeches on that Friday. Like we didn't know we were shutting down. We were like, we're gonna, we're doing this. We're gonna keep going. And then of course that Saturday, um, there was a travel ban. So then we ultimately ended up shutting down. And then it was like the amazing race where it was like me and Camila were like packing up our family and all of our stuff and getting on a flight like at midnight at night, you know, and like coming back to the States, it was crazy. Uh, and at, at the time they were like, we're just going to take a two week hiatus. And we're like, yeah, this is going to be a lot longer than two weeks. <laughs> and, um, and then I had five months, basically almost five months to the day. And I put together what I'd shot. Um, and I rewrote and I saw what I needed and wow. like basically did like a second prep during that time. And, um, and then we came back. So we, we were like one of those rare, uh, you know, production, like we're shooting, like pretty only had like three or four weeks in got shut down came back and and finished um so like jurassic world i think was shooting or like i don't know there was some whatever the next jurassic park is yeah <laughs> and uh and uh, batman was shooting with us and, you know mm. like and um and then we it was we like it was uncharted territory so it was like setting up protocols that like like sony was amazing our producers were amazing the um we had what we called the corona king who was a producer that we hired that did all the like uh, the protocols and make sure that we were all safe and following everything. And man, I, I was like a warden. I was yelling at people. I was just like, that's not how you wear a mask. And um, <laughs> like, I, I didn't care. I was checking like people's Instagram. I was making sure what they were doing over the weekend. You were the female Tom Cruise. You were the female Tom Cruise. Driver. Oh my gosh! I was. I was, no. Tom Cruise is the uh, the male. Oh, the male Kate Kate <laughs> but but you did tell me. You told me about like so. You guys didn't get to have like the rap party on the last day of shooting, but you did right. like the big like tell talk about that last day and what you told everybody to do because I think it's like such a great beautiful moment. Yeah, we well we um. So I want to say also, we went, we did not have one positive COVID test. Like we never had to shut That's down awesome. and every, everybody else around us was shutting down and no, no, nothing against those. I mean, it's, it's very scary and there was a, it was a very contagious virus um, and there was no vaccines, but um, uh, at the time, but uh, so I felt really great about that. And we, um, we didn't have a rap party, but on the last day that the dancers shot, um, we, 
like had all the dancers. It was amazing. I, I was getting to see live performances when a time when there weren't any live performances and it was every day. And all of us were so grateful to be, I, I remember asking the crew, uh, because in, in the UK, there is a, a delineation between TV and film. So these, the crew guys and, and ladies had not worked for the five months. So mm. they were just so, everyone was just so grateful to be there. And we were just having so much fun amidst all this stress and pressure. And so I, I give MVPs out every Friday at the end of every shoot week and um, tell like a story and give them like their favorite, like alcoholic beverage or something like that. I, I give them like a gift and I, t and I announce it in front of the whole crew and they, they everybody applauds and it's a whole thing. And it's really fun. Um, <laughs> and so on that day, we were in the town square and I gave MVPs to all the dancers because it was just like, it was just amazing and so joyful to like watch them like do let's get loud and you know um and then they wanted a, they wanted fun runs like when I, like they were just, like they weren't happy with something they did and i was totally happy and they were like fun they were chanting fun run fun run <laughs> so um so i had them um i had um our playback guy play um uh one song uh a, a song i really love that i would listen to before coming in uh Amory's one thing and I was like, we can't have a rap party, but we can dance to this song um, or whatever. We can like have a good time. And so they played it. And I would, you tell a, a group of dancers who were all quarantined together, who like, you know, like half of them were dating each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you tell them like, you know, that they can't um, have a rap party, dance party, whatever. Like, it's insane. Like you, it, like, the dancing was incredible. And then when the song was over, they were like, one more time. One more time. <laughs> and, um, and so basically we had this like amazing, I mean, I was crying, like all the cast was crying and um, the our Ash, Ashley Wallen and Jenny Griffin, our choreographers were all bawling their eyes. You know, I gave MVPs to them and it was just, I'll never forget it. It was really beautiful. That's awesome. Jim, you got one last question? Yeah, I mean, now that you've got blockers under your belt, followed by Cinderella, you got comedy, you have musical fantasy, period comedy. <laughs> what is the next comedy we're going to get from King Hina? Are we going to get the action that. comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do very much love an action comedy. Uh, so, you know, you just never know what projects are going to get greenlit and which ones are going to go. I mean, it's just like even pre-pandemic to make anything is amazing <laughs> to get anything done, you know, is like incredible. So I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I've got like a lot of TV stuff I'm excited about too. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, we'll see. And I'm also like uh, dabbling in the drama space. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Good. yeah. Great so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Leads to great yeah. drama. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I know we only have you for a limited time, so I'll ask one question or maybe maybe ask for one statement here. Okay, this is such a powerful film for young women and things post uh, Black Lives Matter, post Me Too. Not that we're out of that. That's not happening anymore. But so how the awakening, I guess you could call it. This film comes at such an interesting time, such a perfect time to serve as a symbol of kind of deconstructing all these um, approaches to society, the gender dynamics that we've had before. What do you want people to take away from a film like this, both young girls and young boys who, because the Prince goes on his story as goes on his mm -hmm. journey as well. What do you want young people, I guess, overall, regardless of gender to take away from this film when they get a chance to see it? Yeah. I mean, look, I, we made this for kids. 
Mm. You know, like we made this for, for, and, and, and I, I like to say for, for kids and, and kids at heart, right? Like, you know, like, um, uh, I'm fully aware that n musicals aren't everybody's cup of tea. And, um, and I'm also super aware of the choices that I made that are more in your face, uh, you know, cries for like equality and yeah. inclusivity. And I'm not backing down from that, nor would I ever want to. And so like first I, I want people to laugh and to sing and to dance and to feel that joy, but really like, you know, I'm glad you brought up the gender thing because hmm. what's exciting to me is to see um, young boys like see a story in which they see a prince support um, someone he cares about and to see a king change his mind and be influenced by his wife and really hear her and um, uh, or, or, or really listen to her rather. Like, it's like, I feel like, you know, some of the criticisms have been like, oh, we get it. We get it. You're like, we're, you know, like, uh, like it's, it's too much. We get it. <laughs> it's down our throat. But I think in this time, like you, we, we have to shout from the rooftops mm -hmm. and, and it's not for you because if you thinking we get it, we get it. And there's been no societal change, which there hasn't. Um, in fact, we've taken in the last couple of weeks, massive steps back. Great points. Great points. Yep. It's like, for me, like, I want you to, it always goes back to sing, laugh, and dance. But at the same time, if you leave there and there's like a, a, the impression that's left, especially from young boys and young girls to not quit and to really accept and treat as equal um, boy, girl, non-binary, you know, just human beings, mm. then that will, um, that'll be worth all the the fight and the criticism that this film has, yeah. has and the conversations that this film has elicited. You know, they always say, Kay, uh, the first one through the wall <clears throat> is the bloodiest. And you can say, you can argue, you know, some of the hits you've taken as you spoke about uh, on the, just right now uh, uh, in the end, may be badges of honor that you carry going forward for the changes that you've made. And as you said, if we're still walking backwards in the last two weeks, then clearly no matter how much people say we get it, they aren't getting it if this is still happening in our world. So that's an excellent yeah. point. Um, any final uh, words, Michael or Shannon, on this uh, that you want to say before we wrap up? Um, it's just great having buddies who are so awesome, and we're glad that you're our buddy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I want your um, viewers to know that I thought this was audio only. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> so there's there's gonna be like a there's gonna be frozen pictures and I'm gonna try to like, like... <laughs> Trust me, I'll, I'll, well like Cinderella said it only matters what you think how you yes, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes well done well done yes, yes. and you look great so there you go all right well uh thank you everybody for joining us and a big big thank you to Kay Cannon for joining us for this no interview. thank you Thank you. We, we know you. We know you've done on. Uh, you've been on the press tour for this, so we appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. You're very busy. Go rest. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love you guys. <laughs> love love you, you. All right. This has been our interview with Kay Cannon. Cinderella's out on Amazon Prime now. Watch this thing. Join the millions that are watching it and enjoying the music from it as well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new interview, show, or review here from the Geek. 
buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.